Welcome to TSX Quarterly, the podcast that brings you publicly available earnings calls from companies listed on the Toronto Stock Exchange in one convenient location. Gone are the days of looking through confusing websites. You'll find the important information right here. Enjoy the call. Welcome to CareRx's third quarter 2021 financial results conference call. Please note that this call is being broadcast live over the internet and will be available for replay beginning approximately one hour following the completion of the call. Details of how to access the webcast replay are available on yesterday's news release announcing the company's financial results, as well as the company's website at www carerx.ca. Today's call is accompanied by a slide presentation. Those listening on their phones can access the slide presentation from the company's website in the investor section under events and presentations by loading the webcast and choosing the non-streaming audio option. Certain matters discussed in today's call or answers that may be given to questions asked could be could constitute to forward-looking statements that are subject to risks or uncertainties relating to CARE RX's future financial and business performance. Actual results could differ materially from those anticipated in these forward-looking statements. The risk factors that may affect results are detailed on CARE RX's periodical results and registration statements. You can access these documents on the CDAR database under www CareRx is under no obligation to update any of these forward-looking statements discussed today, and investors are cautioned not to, take, not to place undue reliance under these statements. I would now like to turn the call over to David Murphy, President and CEO of CareRx Corporation. Please go ahead, Mr. Murphy. Thank you, and good morning, everyone. Welcome to our third quarter 2021 earnings call. With me today is our Chief, Chief Financial Officer, Andrew Mock. The third quarter exceeded our expectations. Our strong financial results once again demonstrated how the successful execution of our growth strategy has transformed our revenue and earnings profile. We delivered significant year-over-year -year growth in revenue and adjusted EBITDA, driven by a number of factors. The contributions from the SmartMeds and Rexall acquisitions that were completed earlier this year, the initial contribution from our acquisition of the medical pharmacies long-term care pharmacy business, which we closed in August, and importantly, from an acceleration of organic growth, as the reduction in COVID-related impacts on our sector has allowed us to get more traction in our efforts to acquire new customers. I want to emphasize that a key driver of our strong financial performance is that each of the four acquisitions we have made in the past year is contributing in line with or ahead of our expectations. This is a testament to the M&A capabilities we have built and to our team's ability to execute and integrate. Integration of the medical pharmacies acquisition is well underway, and we continue to believe that we are on track to achieve at least $5 million in synergies from that transaction. Third quarter revenue grew 56% from the same period last year to just over $71 million. Growth was driven primarily by a 
5% increase in the average number of beds serviced to 81,816, up 54% from 53,184 for the second quarter of this year. This growth was driven primarily by the addition of beds from the medical pharmacies acquisition, which closed partway through the quarter. In addition, as I mentioned, our bed count growth was also helped by an acceleration of organic bed wins. During the quarter, we won more than 3,500 new beds, approximately 2,200 of which were onboarded during the third quarter. These wins include approximately 1,800 beds in Western Canada that were formerly serviced by Rexall and were not included in the partial acquisition we completed earlier this year. Our bed count at the end of September was 95,240, and our bed count at the end of October grew to 96,272. We are optimistic that as the sector continues to normalize after the challenges associated with the pandemic, we can continue to accelerate organic growth in the quarters ahead. Adjusted EBITDA for the third quarter was $6.9 million, a year-over-year -year increase of 79%, again, primarily due to the acquisitions that were completed during the year, as well as the quarterly contribution of the $3 million in annualized cost savings synergies from last year's remedies acquisition that we fully realized in the first quarter of this year. As I mentioned, on August 23rd, we completed our acquisition of the medical pharmacy's long-term care pharmacy business, our largest and most significant transaction to date. It added approximately 36,000 beds and further solidified the leadership position we have established in the sector over the past several years. It is expected to contribute run rate annualized revenue of approximately $150 million and adjusted EBITDA of between 10 and 12 million before the realization of any cost saving synergies. The integration of the business and the team is underway and on schedule. We have already begun consolidation of facilities located in the same geographic areas, with one completed during the third quarter and four more expected before year end. Accordingly, we expect to begin to realize a portion of the expected minimum $5 million in annual synergies in the fourth quarter of this year, with achievement of the full $5 million expected to be realized within the first 12 months after closing. Importantly, beyond the significant financial contribution, strategically, this acquisition brings together two companies, both leaders in the sector, and will enable us to uniquely deliver a superior service offering to our home operator partners and their residents. I have been so impressed by the strengths and capabilities of the medical pharmacies team. The teams are fitting together very well, and our combined experience, depth, and leadership abilities are creating a meaningful competitive advantage that I believe will allow us to integrate with excellence, drive further growth, and support our customers and the sector in a way that no other pharmacy partner can do. With the completion of the medical pharmacies acquisition, it is worth taking a step back to put our progress into perspective. In Q3 of 2018, the quarter during which we announced our transformation and growth strategy, we were servicing fewer than 30,000 beds, and our quarterly EBITDA was below break-even. Three years later, we are servicing almost 100,000 beds and have reported quarterly adjusted EBITDA of almost $7 million. And I will note that the Q3 performance reflects only partial contribution and no synergies from the medical pharmacies acquisition. We have made incredible progress. And as I will discuss in a few minutes, we are confident that there are continued organic and acquisition opportunities available to us 
that will allow us to continue our growth trajectory in the quarters and years ahead. There were some other notable developments during the quarter that I would like to highlight. First, the largest of our organic wins during the quarter came from the expansion of an existing contract with an Ontario-based seniors home operator. The expanded contract is expected to add approximately 1,500 new retirement and long-term care beds across 19 seniors housing communities, all of which will be serviced through our existing infrastructure. Onboarding of these beds was completed in October. Second, you will recall that earlier this year, we partnered with Think Research, a leader in integrated digital health software solutions to deliver virtual health care to seniors. The goal of that partnership is to provide seniors easy and secure access to a network of physicians and specialists from the comfort of their own residence, with our specific role being to provide same-day fulfillment of any prescription medication a resident requires following a virtual appointment. After a very successful pilot program in selected Chartwell retirement residences, in September we expanded that program to deliver this virtual healthcare solution broadly to all Chartwell locations in Ontario, British Columbia, and Alberta. Rollout of the program began last month and will continue through early next year. Third, during the quarter, we were also pleased to announce the positive results of a pilot study for the CARI device. As a reminder, CARI is a home-based automated drug delivery device designed to simplify complex medication regimes by automatically delivering prescription drugs in the correct dosage and at the right time to individuals taking multiple medications, and in particular seniors living independently or without full-time care. We are an equity investor in ACE, the company that makes Carry, and we are their preferred partner in the commercialization of the device in Canada. The study involving independent residents at three seasons retirement communities located in Ontario demonstrated a very impressive 97% compliance rate which represents a significantly higher medication adherence rate than the baseline for this demographic broadly. We are very encouraged by the success of the study and look forward to supporting Seasons and ACE with the rollout of CARI in all of Seasons retirement communities as a next step. I would now like to turn the call over to Andrew to discuss our Q3 results in more detail. Andrew? Thank you, David, and good morning, everyone. Before I begin, a reminder that our financial statements and MD&A for the third quarter have been filed with CDAR and are also available on our website. Revenue for the third quarter of 2021 increased 25.7 million, or 56%, to 71.3 million from 45.6 million for the same period in the prior year. This increase was primarily due to the contribution of the SmartMeds and Rexall acquisitions that we completed during the second quarter of this year, as well as the partial quarter's contribution of 16.5 million from the medical pharmacies business, which was acquired on August 23rd. As David noted, this contribution is consistent with the expected run rate annualized revenue of approximately 150 million for that business. Revenue further increased in the quarter as a result of organic growth that was achieved, including 2,200 beds that were onboarded during the quarter. Adjusted EBITDA for the third quarter increased 3.1 million, or 78%, to 6.9 million from 3.8 million for the same period in the prior year. Again, growth was driven by the SmartMeds and Rexall acquisitions completed in Q2, as well as the partial quarter's contribution from the acquired medical pharmacies business. 
The medical pharmacy's contribution to adjusted EBITDA was higher than our expected annualized run rate of 10 to 12 million. And this was primarily the result of two factors. One, the non-recurring benefit from certain operating costs that were not incurred during the first partial months post-closing. And two, the absence of certain costs that will not be incurred until the completion of the shared services agreement with the vendor in the first quarter of 2022. Normalized for these non-recurring and short-term benefits, adjusted EBITDA for the medical pharmacies business was in line with our expected annualized run rate of 10 to 12 million. Turning to our balance sheet, cash at September 30th was 39.9 million, up from 11.4 million at the end of the second quarter of this year. The increase is primarily related to the receipt upon closing of the medical pharmacies transaction on August 23rd of the 63.3 million in proceeds from the bot deal and concurrent private placement of subscription receipts that we closed in May, which were in escrow until the closing of the transaction. A portion of those funds were used to satisfy part of the cash consideration for the medical pharmacies acquisition and related transaction costs. And I will note here that both the ending cash balance and cash provided by operating activities for the quarter benefited from certain working capital movements, with the most notable being just over $8 million in payments of trade payables that would have ordinarily been processed at the end of September, but which did not occur until the following day. While we expect to continue to generate positive cash flows from operations going forward, these cash flows may be impacted by costs incurred related to the medical pharmacy's integration in the next few quarters. Also, concurrent with the closing of the medical pharmacy's transaction, we entered into an amended and restated credit agreement with our senior lender, Crown Private Credit Partners, to refinance our existing credit facilities. A total of 60 million in new credit facilities were advanced, approximately 37 million of which was used to pay a portion of the cash consideration for the medical pharmacy's acquisition and related transaction costs. The remainder of these funds were used to repay the previous facility and associated fees. The terms of the new senior debt facility, as well as the amendments to the existing subordinated facility that I discussed on our last call, each contribute to lowering our overall cost of capital. Net debt at September 30th was 57.3 million, up from 47.8 million at the end of the second quarter. However, with the additional contribution from the medical pharmacies acquisition, Net debt to annualized run rate adjusted EBITDA is 2.1 times, down from 2.8 times at the end of June. And with that, I will now turn the call back over to David for some concluding comments. David? Thank you, Andrew. As I mentioned earlier, our growth strategy has been incredibly successful during the past couple of years and has truly transformed the company, not just in terms of our revenue and earnings profile, but even more importantly, in terms of the service and partnership that we can provide to our customers. We are on the verge of reaching our stated goal of 100,000 residents serviced a full two years ahead of our original aspirational target. I want to emphasize very strongly, however, that we are just getting started. Growth opportunities lie ahead of us that are just as significant as what we have already realized. Our market share is still less than 25%, and we believe that we are building the team capabilities and service offering that will make us a significantly larger part of the sector in the coming years. As I mentioned, organic growth opportunities have reemerged after the challenges of the pandemic. We won 3,500 new beds during Q3 alone, most of which have now been onboarded. We are confident in our ability to continue this recent momentum. 
In addition, our acquisition pipeline remains very robust and increasingly active, and we expect to continue our track record of making disciplined, accretive, and highly synergistic additions to our national operating platform. The key, as always, is to provide exceptional service to our customers and to ensure that our additional size, scale, and capabilities are translated into an increasingly superior pharmacy services offering. We have confidence and momentum, but we also have the humility to recognize that we need to support our customers and earn their trust each and every day. If we do this, and we continue to pursue our mission to enhance the health of Canadians with unique or complex medication needs, I am very confident that our success and our growth trajectory will continue. In closing, I want to thank our exceptional team, including all those who have joined us as part of the recent acquisitions for the commitment, responsiveness, and service orientation that they display on a daily basis. From the challenges of the pandemic, to the demands of integration, to the day-to-day -day need to go above and beyond to take care of our customers, our people have consistently stepped up and are the primary reason for all our success. With that, I would now like to open the call to questions. Operator? Ladies and gentlemen, we will now begin question and answer session. Should you have a question, please press star followed by the number one on your touch tone phone. You will hear a three-tone prompt acknowledging your request and your questions will be pulled in the order they were received. Should you wish to decline from the polling process, please press star followed by the number two. If you're using a speakerphone, please lift the handset before pressing any keys. One moment for your first question. Bet MGM has an unreal deal for sports fans in Virginia. Turn $5 into $150 instantly when you place your first wager at Bet MGM. Simply download the Bet MGM app and sign up using code CHAMPION150. Then, place a $5 wager on any sport. You'll receive $150 in bonus bets, regardless of your wager's outcome. And if you think the fun stops there, the king of sportsbooks has plenty of surprises in store. Check out daily promotions, same game parlays, live bets and so much more download the app in virginia today and get 150 dollars in bonus bets instantly from your first wager only at betmgm betmgm and GameSense remind you to play responsibly see betmgm.com for terms 21 plus only virginia only new customer offer subject to eligibility requirements rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days please gamble responsibly gambling problem call 1-800-GAMBLER promotional offer not available in washington dc your first question will come from doug cooper from beacon securities please go ahead hi good morning uh, david andrew and congratulations on a great execution in the quarter um i guess a two-pronged question first of all um you talked to market share in Canada at your 96,000 bed level of 23%. Uh, I'm assuming the biggest chunk of that 77% or a large chunk anyway would be in Quebec. Uh, so can you talk a little bit about um, maybe uh, do you want to enter that uh, province uh, and or where do you see the rest of the beds coming from and can you put a sort of number on aspirationally where you want to get to or where you think you can get to in terms of numbers of beds in the long-term care? And then part two, I guess, uh, is there an ancillary uh, market uh, that you find attractive uh, that you think it could could be your next leg of growth? Thanks. Sure. I th good morning, and thanks, Doug. Um, yeah, on the, on the, the target and setting a new target, I think you know we're uh, our, our team is really focused on getting across the line on a hundred on a hundred thousand beds. So I, I'm a big believer that 
you know, to run through the finish line of the race you're in before you start a new one. So we're, we're almost there. So I don't think we're going to, we're going to sort of make a specific target, but obviously based on my comments uh, in, during the, the call thus far, we're, we're very bullish. Uh, we believe um, even without getting outside our existing geography, that the kind of organic growth rate uh, that we delivered in Q3, which if you annualize, is, you know, you're talking about a you know, double digit organic growth rate, that, that those, those are where we set our internal targets, even within existing geographies, there's still a lot of um, beds available. Now on geographic expansion, yes, we have, uh, although our focus thus far has been about you know, synergistic growth in the markets in which we operate, we, have, uh, we are taking a hard look at every single province that we either don't operate in or have a, a very light presence in. And so not, nothing to announce or guide to now, but I, I do think you will see us enter other geographies uh, in Canada uh, you know, in the next couple of years, years. Um, yeah. And then in terms of an ancillary targets, you know, there are, as you know, Doug, there are other congregate care settings that have a, you know, similar, not, not, not exactly the same, but a similar dynamic in terms of the, the, the extent to which their residents are uh, dependent on the facility for care and have some complex medication needs, things like corrections facilities, group homes. Um, we do service some of those, but we, we have not historically taken um, as concerted uh, a run at, at penetration in that space. So, so I think, you know, we, we traditionally quote our market size as just seniors housing. We think the addressable market is, is bigger than that, and we have opportunities to, um, to increase penetration there. And all of that, I think, adds up to um, some pretty bullish uh, growth forecasts without even getting to the, to, to, to the idea of, of future acquisitions, which we continue to pursue. Okay, great. My final one just for, for Andrew, maybe you can just uh, – Free cash flow. Um, I mean, there's great visibility given where your bed count in is and the stability of revenue per bed. Can you talk about uh, what we can expect in terms of capex, or other words, what's the flow through of EBITDA to free cash flow for next year? You think? Andrew, morning, Doug. Yeah, I think that you know, in ter- I, the next couple of quarters will really be focused on the integration work, and as we've talked about in prior calls, there's some costs associated with that. You know, we've typically forecasted about a one-to-one ratio in terms of the integration costs compared to the synergies we expect to realize. Uh, I think that where we're forecasting to both complete the integration work, um, not only in terms of getting those costs out of the way, but obviously realizing on those synergies, and we expect that by Q4 of next year, we'll be generating positive free cash flows and really start to uh, improve our cash conversion on EBITDA from there, there on. Okay, great. Thanks very much. That's it for me. Thanks, Doug. Your next question will come from Chai Lee from Desjardins. Please go ahead. Thank you. Good morning, David and uh, Andrew. Congratulations on the quarter. Um, my first question will be from, um, can you discuss the non-recurring benefit from cost not incurred and the cost not required until signing the stress of it or even with a medical pharmacy? Uh, maybe just some color behind wine and is there a catch-up? Um, and if we normalize for those, I think... Um, Medical pharmacy contribution in the quarter was 1 to 1.2 million, which imply a normalized EBITDA of 5.9 to 6.1 million this quarter. Uh, Chai, thank you for your question. Good morning. I, I think uh, you know Andrew can provide additional granularity if necessary, but I think at the highest level, the best way to think about this is remember that we're uh, we purchased not a full company, but we purchased a division that was part of a broader company. So. Yeah, and, and as it happens, that's, I think that was the case with our remedies deal and our Rexall deal. So w- when that happens, there is a bit of complexity uh, carving out the division uh, from the broader entity. And so I would say in terms of most of those non-recurring costs, uh, the, the first month of medical pharmacies is, I think, an eight-day month. And there were just certain aspects of the 
cost structure that I think weren't representative of, of what the, the full run rate will, will, will be. And that continued a little bit to some extent in September. And then the other, uh, the other factor is that we do have a, a shared service agreement with medical pharmacies whereby their corporate office is continuing to provide some services on a transitional basis while we, um, while we create uh, those capabilities and those resources inside our company. And so to some extent, our cost structure is, is, um, is lower than it ultimately will be. So those are, the, those are the two main drivers. I think your math on the normalization, I think is right. I think it probably could be a little bit higher um, in terms of what the medical pharmacy's contribution is. It really, I guess, depends on whether it lands closer to the 12 million or the 10 million uh, in, the, in, in the range. But obviously really encouraging uh, in terms of what the first six weeks or so have been. We're not ready to declare, uh, you know, uh, the, the, um, any sort of permanent overperformance, but, um, you know, we're encouraged by, by what the business has done thus far. Thank you, that's really helpful. And my next question will be from uh, Organic Growth. So you won um, 3,500 new beds this quarter, including uh, 1,500 beds from the Ontario contract. Um, can you please break down the remaining ones, whether they are from new homes or expansions of the existing home or maybe an uh, increase in occupancy rate at long-term care homes and how you think that would progress throughout uh, Q4 next year? Sure. So high level, the, the 3,500 were all uh, new, net new beds. So uh, the, the Ontario-based contract was one. And as I mentioned during the call, uh, the, the, the other large driver of it was about 1,800 beds we won in, um, in Western Canada that for the most part were formerly served by Rexall and um, became available by virtue of Rexall's strategic decision to exit the market. So th there's a few smaller uh, uh, wins as well, but those were the two big ones. Um, over and above that, I think in terms of your question about occupancy, we are seeing continued normalization of occupancy rates. I think we said on the last call that we thought we were about 1,500 beds short of what we uh, what we regard as as normal occupancy rates. I, I would ask, we would estimate that. Um, about 500 of that 1,500 normalized over the course of the quarter. So it's, we're, you know, it's, it's, a, it's an imprecise science, but we're somewhere around, we believe, about 1,000 beds short of what uh, the pre-COVID occupancy levels uh, would look like. That's right. Thank you. And maybe just last one I'll squeeze in. Um, the revenue per bed dropped to 876 this quarter. I think it's lower compared to your historical range of 920 to 930. Um, can you please discuss the driveway behind this and how we should think about modeling this going forward? I think I'll ask Andrew to field that one. Yeah, I think it's a, it's a couple of factors. She, I think, firstly, you know, the number that you're using would just be the weighted average across all of our beds. I think some of the beds that we onboarded in the quarter, particularly in the West, would probably be on the lower end of that range in terms of what contributes to the average. So it probably brought it down a little bit. You know, as you know, the funding models, while more on a level playing field across the provinces and bed types now, some of the beds, particularly long-term care in the West, they are slightly lower in terms of annual revenue. So that was the primary driver. Uh, I think that the, call it stub period, first month of MPGL uh, probably contributed a little bit to that as well. I think that using that, uh, you know, something around 900, 925 is still the right number to use on an overall basis. It may change from quarter to quarter, just depending on uh, where the bulk of any beds onboarded were. Thank you. I'll pass along. Thank you. Your, your next question will come from Sepper Manachuri from 8 Capital. Please go ahead. 
Good morning and congrats on the continued execution. Uh, just a quick question regarding the combined entity and the potential for integration of the technology backend. Can you walk us through some potential operational efficiencies that may be established from uh, basically whether it's integrating some of the uh, management software that MGCL had in terms of the pharmacy management solutions or maybe some of the access you guys have to the SmartLink software. I would love to know a bit more color on potential operations there. Uh, yeah, good morning, Seth, and thanks for your question. Yeah, I, I don't think we're going to get that far down the road publicly on, you know, uh, uh, too much on, on the technology side. I would say, you know, the important thing to emphasize is that our uh, our minimum synergy target that we've guided to does not, you know, contemplate, you know, anything as it relates to, te you know, technology-enabled uh, efficiencies or innovation. But you're right that there are we are part of our integration work is about. Uh, looking at um, you know, the various uh, software and technology platforms that the two companies use, and and making decisions about standardizing towards one or the other, and so we believe uh, you know the benefits of that standardization and best practices, I think, are going to make our our uh, operations more efficient, and and also I think you know, provide a more consistent service offering to our customers. I think over and above that, you know, we we do believe that there are technology-related opportunities to drive further automation and further efficiencies in our facilities, particularly as some of these facilities start to service a significant number of beds. We have, you know, we'll have facilities once we're finished that are, that are servicing, you know, as many beds as, you know, so some, of, some of the companies we acquired serviced in total nationally. But I think we're, you know, we're going to go one step at a time here. The main focus right now is just getting the physical consolidation done. Uh, and we'll continue to provide more guidance as it relates to how technology can be used to further drive both better service to our customers and margin expansion over the course of 2022. Excellent, I appreciate the answer there. Thank you. Thanks, Seth. Your next question would come from Justin Keywood with Stifle GMP. Please go ahead. Hi, good morning. Uh, thanks for taking my call. I noted in the press release there was uh, a mention on the annualized uh, revenue and adjusted EBITDA uh, for the uh, MPGL uh, pharmacy business, expect to be 150 million and, and 10 to 12 million in, in EBITDA, and, and that doesn't include the cost uh, synergies. And, and there's a few moving parts in general. I'm wondering if uh, you have just a broad uh, range of what the, the overall business could be doing on a run rate basis for uh, revenue and EBITDA. Yeah, I mean, based on what we've seen so far, Justin, I, I think the, the revenue number is you know, pretty much spot on. I think the, the bed count, uh, the medical pharmacies bed count was a little bit higher than we'd forecast. So that's, you know, I create a bit of an uptick. I think we're going to hold to the 10 to 12 million range. Obviously, if you annualize Q3, it would be a higher amount than that. But as Andrew mentioned, there are some, there are some aspects of the cost structure that we don't think uh, uh, would be recurring. So I think we're going to hold to the 10 to 12 million uh, obviously, you know, there's probably an indication that, that hopefully it's fair to assume uh, that it'll at least be closer to the high end of that range. But I don't think we're going to we're going to declare victory here prematurely and until we have more, um, you know, more actual results under our belt. And just the consolidated operations as a whole are, are able to give any color there? In terms of overall EBITDA? Yeah. Yeah, I think I'd leave that to the analysts. I think what you, for the most part, you you guys do a good job at modeling. Uh, I think you know both where we are, are and where we'll be full, further uh, fully integrated. I think you can 
I think you can comfortably extrapolate the run rate of the core business by now. And I think we've guided to what the medical pharmacies number will be. And I think the, the 5 million in synergies, we feel very good about. And I, I think that we believe it should probably, they'll, they'll probably be realized uh, on a fairly even progressive basis starting in Q4 and running through through next year. And so really the main variable is just how much uh, how much additional growth we can put through our platform. And, you know, we're obviously focused on trying to repeat the, the Q3 performance uh, going forward. Okay, fair enough. And then just in general, we, we hear about all the supply chain disruptions and a tight labor market, uh, you know, difficultly hiring uh, people. I'm just wondering if that's, uh, you know, at all uh, being, being uh, impacted to uh, CareRx, and, and if so, um, you know, how, what are some of the initiatives to manage through that? Yeah, good question. Not not to a significant degree. I think we're we're fortunate on the supply chain side in that you know we have a we have a a, a great relationship with our with our uh, preferred wholesaler and distrib- distribution partner. And so you know the me- medication supply chain is far and away the most important one for us. And they've done a, a wonderful job from the early days of the pandemic of of getting us what we need. So I, we've not had any uh, you know thankfully any supply chain related issues that would mirror. Uh, some of the things we're hearing about the broader economy. Uh, similarly, on the inflation and labor side, uh, yeah, yeah, again, our, our 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 labor force is a bit different than the quote-unquote average uh, one in the sense that it's you know it's it's heavily um, populated by pharmacy professionals, uh, pharmacists, pharmacy technicians, and pharmacy assistants. I wouldn't say that the um, uh, the, the broader labor market trends would uh, would mirror uh, that that profession. We we always see at any given time, and usually it's geographically isolated where the market for pharmacy professionals gets gets hot, and we have we have challenges. But nothing that I think would would um, would would be driven by the broader economic situation. And then lastly, on on inflation in general. Um, you know, again, fortunately, the biggest drivers of our cost structure are the cost of medication and the cost of labor. So we're not seeing uh, pressures there on, on smaller aspects of our of our cost structure, like insurance costs and other things. For sure, we are seeing some inflation, um, but I wouldn't say at this point that it's material in our overall cost structure. Understood. Thank you for taking my questions. Thanks, Justin. Your next question will call uh, come from. Paul Stewartson from IA Capital Markets. Please go ahead. Good morning, guys, and uh, thanks for taking my call. Just calling in for Chelsea. Um, congratulations on the quarter. It's really great to see. Um, we've, we've been seeing a lot of indications that net new prescriptions were down during the pandemic. So just kind of wondering if that bounces back now, is that something that would impact margins in terms of more medications per person increasing costs or how, how do you look at that? Yeah, it's a good question. I think, you know, it's, it's in my three years here, you know, we've always tried to, you know, prognosticate or make assessments there, but I would tell you in general, uh, in, in the in the in the space we're in, and the, the, the seniors uh, housing residents, we've seen nothing but stability uh, in terms of what uh, prescription uh, looks like over the course of uh, of, a, of a resident's tenure in a long-term care or retirement home. So I, I think, to the extent that you're, we're modeling anything, I think we can safely say it's pretty stable. Uh, we're obviously focused on driving revenue per bed up, but most of that is by doing things like um, providing ancillary services like medical supplies, medical cannabis. But I think on the pure prescription front, uh, I think our sector, you know, is is relatively stable uh, from a prescription perspective. 
Okay, thank you. And and, and just one one more, um, maybe a, a brief update in terms of where the the canopy dispute is, and any color on how Vancouver is going for pharmacy at your door, and and where you're looking next. Sure, a good question. So on, on canopy, uh, not a lot to update. I would say, you know, as I said on the last call. Uh, you know, the, unfortunately, the, the entire cannabis sector and, and medical cannabis in particular has has underperformed versus the initial commercial expectations. I don't think our partnership is unique in any way there. But we're having very constructive discussions with Canopy. I think our teams are working very well uh, on the front line, and we're seeing some traction and some growth. And so I, I think uh, my, my sense is both parties are disappointed, but um, want the partnership to continue and. Uh, I, I believe we're all pretty committed to making the next three years better than the, the, the first three years. So feeling um, positive on that front. Yeah, on pharmacy at your door, yes, we, 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 uh, we are now in both uh, uh, Alberta and in the Vancouver market. Our monthly um, patient served and, and revenue continues to track upwards. Uh, I would say, though, right now, just given the magnitude of the integration work underway, We've got to be selfish and focusing on the core business and making sure that that integration gets uh, done and done with excellence. So I don't think at this point uh, we're contemplating any near-term near expansion to any other markets for pharmacy at your door. Okay, that's good to know and uh, good to hear. Thanks, thanks, guys. Thanks, Paul. Your next question will come from Stefan Quinsville from Echelon. Please go ahead. Hi guys, thanks for taking my question and congratulations on the quarter. Um, I, I guess my first question uh, is, you know, there's obviously been some pretty uh, dramatic changes in your industry over the last year, first with your uh, acquisitions uh, as well as COVID. And now that the uh, medical facilities acquisition is, is closed, I just I was curious about what kind of, uh, or if there's been changes in terms of your, your conversations with clients and um, uh, is, is there a different dynamic in the marketplace now that those two kind of large events have uh, come to pass? And then my, my second question is on the, uh, the Fincher Research um, uh, deal or expansion of that. Uh, can you help sort of size that opportunity and what it's going to mean for potentially getting incremental beds? Uh, sure. Uh, thanks, Stefan, uh, for your question. So, you know, on the first point, yeah, you know, I, I won't. I never try to speak for the long-term care home operators uh, because they've obviously been through uh, an incredible amount, and, and some of them are publicly traded and can, can make their own comments. But, but obviously, I think there's a cautious optimism that uh, that the worst is behind us from a COVID perspective. I think a lot of lessons have been learned, uh, not just by the home operators, but I think you know a lot of provincial governments across the country have recognized that. Um, their support for, for long-term care was, was not at the level it needed to be. And so I think you're seeing a very healthy, um, you know, re-engagement by provincial governments to support the long-term care sector better. And, and um, I think that's, that's long overdue and necessary. Um, you know, from a pharmacy perspective, I would say, um, you know, to the extent that there's silver linings and all this, uh, I think we do benefit from that as, in terms of just, you know, government recognizing in the first instance just what role we play in the sector and how important we are there's been a history of governments looking at uh, long-term care pharmacy as a source of budget cuts i think they're they're really re-examining that and understanding the value we play in the sector and that if the sector is underfunded then the last thing they should be doing is is underfunding uh pharmacy i think again won't speak for the long-term care operators but I, I do think there is a recognition that um, you know, when times get tough and it's not been in, it's not been any tougher than it's been the last few years, you need to have a, 
um, a scaled, sophisticated partner in mul- that, that has multiple sites, that has multiple levers to pull in order to support the business. And so, you know, we, we hope and believe that, um, you know, more home operators will be looking for those the larger scaled national providers to be able to uh, really hand their pharmacy needs to in a way that's you know, soup to nuts, we can do what they need and they can focus on resident care. But I think a lot of that story still has to be written in terms of what the aftermath of, of, of COVID will be. But, you know, for us, we're happy with what we accomplished. And now we're just focused on telling the story to the customers that don't work with us about why we, we believe uh, it's in their best interest to do so. And, and then, sorry, the second question on think research. Yeah, the best way to think about this is, you know, as we talked about before, uh, unlike a long-term care facility, in a retirement home, um, residents get their medications a whole host of ways. Some of them use our medication management services. Some of them, you know, source their medications independently, or they still drive and drive to their local retail pharmacy. So, I mean, the, the most important part of the Think Research uh, partnership has nothing to do with us. It's really about making sure uh, there's a physician presence in these homes, uh, which is unfortunately challenged at some t- uh, at some point. Uh, and so having a virtual network of physicians so that people can be seen on a timely basis, that's the most important thing. For us, from a business perspective, though, um, the advantage is all of these folks who don't tend to use our medication management services will, will use us for prescriptions. So I, 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 we look at it really as just an additional driver uh, of bed count growth. Um, but, but more importantly, it's, it's a service offering that we think, you know, differentiates us in terms of offering the, the most innovative um, you know, value add partnerships to our retirement home customers. Great, thanks for that. Thanks, Stefan. As a reminder, should you have a question, please press star followed by the number one. Your next question is a follow-up from Chai Lee from Desjardins. Please go ahead. It's Chi, thank you. Yeah, just a couple of follow-up for me. So. Um, as you go into the medical pharmacies and uh, Rexall's and realize synergy, can you talk about the path ahead on realizing margins by quarter? Can you provide a roadmap on you know the next uh, four, five, six quarter until you reach the 12, 13 percent? Yeah, it's a good question, Chi. I think that's I think that's the first analyst follow-up question I've ever I've ever got to your your first. Um, the the I, I don't know that we're going to provide sort of numerical guidance. I think we've already we've, we've made clear what we think the endpoint target will be, and, and that hasn't changed. I think you're best to think about it as a progressive escalation. You know, from Q4 uh, hitting the kind of fully integrated uh, margin at some point uh, in Q4 of next year. I think that's all we would say at this point, just because obviously the the exact timing of integration and when the benefits hit the P&L are still, you know, a, a little bit uncertain in terms of which month and, and which quarter. Thank you for that. And uh, perhaps on the M&A front, I know that uh, you are still digesting the medical pharmacy supposition, um, but is there, are you getting more inbound calls uh, from your, to your corporate development teams uh, being the acquired choice of either, you know, talking for other acquisitions? And uh, yeah. are you seeing any change in valuation? Uh, yeah, on the first point, uh, we, we are, as I mentioned, you know, the, the pipeline is active and actually increasingly active in the last few months. I think you're right. I think we are. We've established ourselves as the acquirer of choice. Uh, and so, although obviously future deals are likely to be much smaller than uh, the the medical pharmacies deal, the, the advantage of that is you can you can do more of them and you can integrate them more successfully. So, yeah, we're, we're very uh, committed and, and we expect to do more uh, deals in the quarters ahead. Uh, and on valuation, I think, you know, from our perspective, 
we've established what the market price should be uh, for both small tuck-ins and larger platforms. And, you know, we don't see any inflation in that. And, and candidly, we're just, we're just too disciplined. We're not willing to, um, you know, ch chase anything uh, above where we believe uh, the, the, the right economics work for us. Thank you so much. Thanks, Chief. There are no further questions at this time. Please proceed. Uh, thank you, and thank you everyone for participating on today's call and for your continued interest in CareRx. We look forward to reporting on our continued progress next quarter. Thank you. Ladies and gentlemen, this concludes your conference call for today. We thank you for participating and ask that you please disconnect your lines. BetMGM has an unreal deal for sports fans in Virginia. Turn $5 into $150 instantly when you place your first wager at BetMGM. Simply download the BetMGM app and sign up using code CHAMPION150. Then, place a $5 wager on any sport. You'll receive $150 in bonus bets, regardless of your wager's outcome. And if you think the fun stops there, the king of sportsbooks has plenty of surprises in store. Check out daily promotions, same game parlays, live bets, and so much more. Download the app in Virginia today and get $150 in bonus bets instantly from your first wager only at BetMGM. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. See BetMGM.com for terms. 21 plus only. Virginia only. New customer offer. Subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Please gamble responsibly. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Promotional offer not available in Washington, D.C. Thank you for listening to TSX Quarterly. If you enjoyed the cast, remember to leave a good rating. And remember, for any additional inquiries, please consult the company's investor relations section on their website. See you next time.